Turn around, say hello to somebody, and then be seated. Well, praise the Lord for our eternal purpose, which is purposed in Christ from the beginning. Thank you, each and every one, for your faithfulness this year. And we've been receiving a very special offering in addition to our regular tithes and offerings, and that is give a Christmas gift to Jesus. This is a special effort. If you would give to the Lord in His work and to missions, uh, the equal of that which you spend on others at Christmas time, Christ would be so honored and we would be so grateful. Thank you for your faithfulness in sending in, bringing in, dropping off your tithes and offerings and your special gifts as well. Please encourage other people to tune in each morning at 6 a.m. and beyond. We have From the Shepherd to the Sheep and many special features this month, many, uh, many original songs and familiar songs of Christmas and of this special season of the year. Let us continue now tonight in our study of the book of Ephesians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul by inspiration to this church which was comprised largely of Gentiles. And now as Paul is approaching the subject of who we are in Christ, he is sharing the fact that God never got caught off guard, never had plan B, always had plan A. And plan A is for individuals to come to God through Christ and that God has had an eternal purpose. And so now in view of the previous two chapters, we're in chapter number three. The previous two chapters speak of the unity that we have with other believers regardless of their racial and cultural and linguistic background. We have that unity of the Spirit. Praise God for that. And so he says, by inspiration, in verse number one of chapter three, for this cause, for the cause that he has been writing now for two chapters, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, mark that word, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto us, unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul is saying... God has it under control. Don't be fainting at 
the sufferings, the tribulations, the difficulties that we go through in this life as part of God's plan in getting us ready and working on uh, uh, fulfilling that divine plan for eternity. Don't faint at that. Don't fall away over that. If we focus on how difficult the journey or the task is, we'll quit. But God didn't call us to focus on the difficulty of the journey. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if we faint not. Don't faint. Don't give up. We don't, uh, we don't finish our course because it's easy. We finish our course because we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. God has always had a plan and we have confidence because of Jesus Christ. So now we have something brand new that has never been known previously. In fact, it was, as it's called here, a mystery. Now we're going to hit these words and bring it all together and show you how it fits. All the pieces fit together perfectly. But let's ask God to give us complete understanding. Shall we? Father, we thank you that you've said in John's gospel that when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide us into all truth. This is one of those deep passages of Scripture. Lord, we don't believe that all of our Christians in our church, all of our believers, should remain indefinitely in the preschool of, of understanding, but rather, Lord, we should move along and grow in grace. And so help us tonight to understand some of the deeper things and to apply those things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have the word mystery. Now, the word mystery used several times here and throughout the New Testament does not mean uh, like a whodunit. Uh, you see a mystery movie or you read a mystery novel. That's not it. It means a, a sacred secret, something that was kept for our own good from us. Now, you parents who are out there know exactly what I'm going to say next. There are some things that your children should not know. They should never hear you talking about how poor you are. I grew up in a home of a preacher. and Back in the 1950s when everybody else's dad was making X amount of money, my dad was making probably half of that. But they never ever spoke in front of us three children, those of us, uh, that, uh, that they were poor. In fact, we never lacked for anything. We ate three square meals a day. They provided for us. And so we didn't have to bear the burden of the budget. We didn't have to bear the concern, not that they were overly concerned or worried, but they, they never put it on us. And I'm very thankful for that. There are many, many things of an adult nature that I never knew until I became an adult. And I'm very thankful to my parents that they kept those things from me. When kids are worried about how much money there is or are the taxes going to get paid or is the light bill going to get paid, that is not what kids are for. Kids are not there for the purpose of being a sounding board about all of your family problems. Are you listening to me? Now, on the same level, our Heavenly Father has kept things from us. There'll be some things that we will never know. I mean, even in eternity, there are some things we won't care about when we get over there, but we're not going to understand. There are other things that we'll understand or stand better by and by as the song goes. Get on the other side and we'll see things from the upside and we'll understand 
a little bit better about some of the things we went through, but some things we don't need to know. And right now, there are some things that are kept from us. Do you know that up until the point that Jesus Christ established His earthly ministry and established the church, the church was completely unknown by those who were in the Old Testament that were believing on the coming Messiah. They had no concept. The prophets, when they give us prophecies of the coming of the Savior, first and second advents, there, were absolute, there was no hint of the church in the Old Testament. The church did not begin in the Old Testament. What you have in the Old Testament, you have the beginning of humankind with Adam. You have the beginning of Israel with Abraham as the father of, of the Israelite people and the father of many nations as well. But Jesus Christ established the church. Now what happened on Pentecost was the endowment of power and a pattern for this age in which we live. But that's not where the church began. The church began in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. We believe that, we teach that, we preach that, and Baptists who don't teach that are not historic Baptists. They've been hanging around with Protestants too much. We are not Protestants. We didn't come out of Catholicism. We didn't protest anything. We've always been. We proceeded. Uh, we were ahead of the Catholic Church by five centuries. We, we, we came from the time of John the Baptist recognizing the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, establishing His ministry. That's when the local church began in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not hearing a lot of amens, but all of you folks out there on YouTube are amening me right now as I speak. This whole concept of the mystery is that God didn't need to tell anybody in the Old Testament about what He was going to do in the New Testament. So he didn't. He kept that as a sacred secret. There it is. And the word mystery is used 27 times. Write it down. My mother, in her Bible, wrote down all these little notes in the margins and so forth. She would write down the meanings of words and so forth. All right, so it's 27 times uh, referring to about 11 different mysteries, at least according to J. Vernon McGee. And I... I prefer to trust him over my count, so I'll trust J. Vernon McGee, he being dead yet speaketh. This is, um, this is because in the Roman Greco world, there was such a complexity of, of religiosity, people believing different things, and so God had a plan and a program which is now being revealed through Paul so that we understand what was not previously understood by folks in the Old Testament. All right, we're looking at uh, the reality that prior to Jesus Christ establishing His ministry and beginning this thing called the church, for a Gentile to get included in God's plan, they had to become a Jewish proselyte. Now, after Christ came and established His ministry, Gentiles did not have to become Jews before they would become believers. In fact, uh, now it's a brand new, uh, a brand new uh, economy, a brand new development, and this is the mysterious uh, revelation that we would only understand if God reveals it, and God reveals it through the pen of the Apostle Paul. As he writes in those 13 books of the New Testament that bear his name, we're seeing much of this come together. So please note the words that are very important here, the uh, 
the Gentiles, of course, and then the dispensation of grace. Now, the word dispensation reminds us that we are moderate, mild dispensationalists, not hyper-dispensationalists. We do believe that there are different blocks of time in which God reveals different amounts of truth for which believers are responsible. That's, that's the dispensations of the Bible, and we, we're glad for that rightly dividing the word of truth. Otherwise, you get the kingdom over in grace, or, or you get you know, the future and the past mixed up, and you're going to have some bad interpretation. So be very careful, careful about that. Here, dispensation means what it means anywhere else, an administration. It has been given to Paul as a responsibility to reveal the meaning behind all of this. So he is the administrator. He is the, he is the human instrument that God is using. Revelation, revelation here, not meaning the book Revelation, but revelation meaning truth as it's revealed, truth as it is unfolded. It's folded up before like the old-fashioned maps, you know, they used to get the road map out and you've got it all spread all over the front seat and you can't see around it to see where the signs are. And ha, You know what I'm talking about. Now they've got nice atlases. Actually, I, I, I hear there's a new thing called GPS. But anyway, uh, yes, yes. Uh, you can, you, and now you can get lost three ways, all right, not just... One or two ways, but three ways you can get totally discombobulated. So, uh, so much for my take on that. But with a map that you would fold up, you never get it back right together, hardly, you know, unless you're one of those OC people that are uh, very careful about getting all the folds and everything folded back right. But when you unfold it, you can see the highway, you can see the road, you can see the way. When it's folded up, all you can see, it says map of Virginia. That's it. That's all you can see. And then it says, you know, Greetings from the governor or whatever, and then you open it up and you figure out what road you're on. Okay, so the revelation is the unfolding, the revealing that, uh, that God made known by the Spirit to Paul so that he could make the mystery, which was previously the sacred secret that was unknown, now it's known. And uh, they, they'll be on the same page, he says, here in verses 4 and 5, uh, as he is, even though people in the past were not. Think about it. We know something that, that the great prophets, the great, uh, the great leaders of the Old Testament didn't know anything about. But God has saved that for us, and we are a part of that. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. One, two, three, put it down. One, two, three, there it is. This is a threefold revelation. Let's talk about it. Fellow heirs, what does that mean? Well, we are heirs of God and uh, uh, joint heirs with Christ, as we're going to learn. We are, we are uh, going to be receiving the blessings and the promises of God, as you see, we, we are in line to receive from God. So Gentiles who were never fellow heirs unless they were proselytes, now are fellow heirs without first becoming Jews, if they just believe on Jesus, of the same body. Now we know that a body is connected, so in a local sense, the local church, in a greater sense, the family of God, uh, which will become a true body at the rapture. And then 
partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. The gospel, of course, is the only way that we come to God. The good news is Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again according to the Scriptures. And what He has done in our behalf makes us worthy in God's eyes. So Paul is saying in verse 7, whereof I was made a minister. The word minister in the New Testament means a servant. He's the one who is serving God and indirectly serving us as believers with this information. According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Effectual means effective. So it worked in Paul's case. He was on the road to Damascus as a persecutor and God saved him and changed him. And that's what the grace of God does. It saves and changes us. Saves and changes us. I like what uh, my, my wife shared with me a quote the other day about, uh, about when someone is truly repentant, there is a change. You don't want to go back. You don't want to go back. I mean, you, you as a, a new believer, you still have the old nature and can sin, but you don't want to sin. God changes our want to. He changes our desire. That is not to say that we are going to be perfect, nor that any other believer, perhaps who's been saved longer, has the right to sit around and say, well, I'm not your judge, but I'm your fruit inspector, and so I'm just going to inspect your fruit. Better not. Pow, zoom to the moon, you know. Don't, don't, be, don't be checking that out. Let's take care of ourselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're not put here for the purpose of saying, well, he saved, but she isn't, but she is, but he isn't. That's not our job. Our job is to take care of our own business. And that's not our business. That's God's business. Amen. So his effectual uh, working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Paul has the right to say that about himself. And it's recorded by inspiration, not so that we'll think less of Paul, but so that we will realize that each one of us is in the same situation. You know 1 Timothy 1.15, you know the scripture about uh, that is worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. Was Paul in actuality the worst sinner who ever lived? No, no. I don't know who the worst sinner is or if there is even such an animal. I don't know if there's a worse sin, but we should think of ourselves in that respect so that we might be able to present ourselves without ego and without, you know, some kind of elitism. God save us from that. God keep us from that. Everybody out there that's viewing, we're just all sinners saved by grace. That's it. So he says, the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles. Remember, he was the persecutor of the church, but now he is, has been granted grace to preach among the Gentiles. There's a whole new group of people. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. That is absolutely amazing. When I think about the unsearchable, I mean, you can't get to the bottom. There are places in the ocean that are so deep that 
humans can't go there. And only with the most sophisticated, pressurized equipment could anybody even approach the depths of the ocean. There are places in the ocean, particularly in the Mariana Trench, that are so deep. They are deeper than, conversely, the highest mountain, Mount Everest, is by uh, almost another mile. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how deep it is. And down there, uh, there's, there's no natural lighting, and uh, it is impossible for anybody at that depth, in that pressure, in that temperature to, to even survive. But we have even something that's deeper. Here it is. The unsearchable riches of Christ. That means this. If I lived, you know, longer than any other human being, Methuselah lived 969 years. Now, I, you say, preacher, you're not going to live 970 years, are you? Probably not. I will, you know, live forever in Christ. But in this body, I won't live 970 years. But if I live longer than Methuselah, and you interviewed me and you said, preacher, you've lived longer than any other human being, do you understand the unsearchable riches of Christ? My answer would be no, and nobody can. That's because they're unsearchable. It is impossible for us to totally get it. It is so vast, so deep, uh, so amazing. There is no way that we're ever going to be able to completely and totally understand God's purpose. W.A. Criswell, who was longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, illustrates it this way. He says, uh, any schoolboy, if you ask them which way does the Mississippi River flow, he will say from north to south. And that is correct in the larger sense. Now, in a smaller sense, there are places, if you follow the windy path of the Mississippi, which has changed over the years, there are places where it actually flows east to, uh, you know, east to west and even south to north before it turns back around and heads south. It's, it's the strangest thing. If you track it, get a map, get out your, uh, get out your map tonight and look at that and you're going to see places where it goes every which way. But eventually, where does it empty out? It empties out in the Gulf of Mexico, comes out by New Orleans and empties out in the Gulf of Mexico. And so the Mississippi flows from north to south. The plan of the ages, the plan that was predetermined, I mean settled in the heart of God, was that mankind would be reconciled to himself through Jesus Christ. Even though there have been many twists and turns, eventually that's where it goes, and that's how it turns out. This hidden wisdom was uh, never known by Old Testament saints, but we know about it, and there is no excuse for us to be ignorant about the deep things as far as we can understand. It is enough for us to know that God's got it all under control and that He chose us to be saved not in the sense of excluding individuals, but in the sense of including those of us who otherwise, as Gentiles, would have had to become 
Jewish proselytes before we could have been accepted. So there you have it. We know the end result. The end result is that we should become part of this thing called His body. We have, we have uh, been declared uh, to be holy in and through Jesus Christ and in practice on a daily basis as we yield to God, we're able to live victoriously and live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, we should be holy and without blame, our scripture says tonight. We must see that God has always had an eternal purpose for us, not simply to go to heaven, but for us to be His examples so that people will see what the grace of God is all about. This is God's eternal choice. Not just to include some and exclude others, but those who have now been included should likewise be to the praise of His glory. God's purpose is not just that we go to heaven. God's purpose is that we live like His children ought to live until we get there. For His glory, by His grace, Adam fell. And as the federal head of the race, mankind, we all fell with Him. The second Adam came, Jesus Christ, and He died for all and did so to redeem us and to save us and to transform us and to change us and make us brand new. If any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. Old things are what? Passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New. What a radiant privilege. What a bright and shining uh, privilege it is for us to be those chosen by God to represent Him. This is what was extended to Paul personally. And he received that grace to become a minister, a servant of Jesus Christ, to become a preacher of the gospel. Though he himself was humble about it, he was exalted, he, he was privileged to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. That's what the grace of my God can do, can take someone who otherwise was a persecutor and turn him into a preacher for his glory. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart tonight. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. What a joy and what a privilege to be a child of God, to be part of this wonderful family by his grace and for his glory. Now tonight, we are going to be extending an invitation, just as uh, the invitation is being extended on uh, the live stream right now. Let me say, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never received Christ right now, pray from your heart to God. Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up? I'm going to ask you to please...
Amen. Thank you so much. Amen.